Wonderful. A great time of worship. Well, good morning. morning. My name's Paul. I'm one of the team here. And um, we're in the middle of a a, a two-week series, just a little series, where we're um, thinking about and talking about some stuff that really isn't that easy to talk about, but is super important that we do. And that's the whole area of um, mental illness. And um, it's one of those things that really impacts uh, many of us. In fact, all of us are impacted by mental illness, either directly or indirectly. And, um, and it's one of those things that can be a bit taboo when it comes to talking about it, can't it? And, and you know, we, we've, most of us have been raised to think that we're supposed to just show this kind of exterior kind of um, self that just looks like we've got it all together. And, um, and actually, um, every single one of us has significant brokenness going on under the surface. And so it's really important that we talk about it as a church together and we think about it. And um, I just want to remind you of what we were talking about last week. So last week we talked about the nature of mental illness a little bit. If you are interested in this topic and you weren't here last week, it'd be worth just getting that off the website. But just to summarize, we talked about how mental illness is, is really one of the effects of the fall. Um, the, uh, there, was, there was the the experience that Adam and Eve had in Eden, which was one of absolute fulfillment, um, is one that uh, has generated huge amounts of loss that many of us, even thousands of years later, we still carry that, don't we, with us. We carry those echoes of Eden and uh, the brokenness. And we we looked at how that fall affects our mental health. We looked at four main um, ways in which that happens. The first is um, environmental conditions, often from uh, when we were babies in our mother's wombs. And that can be all sorts of things, ranging from, for example, if, um, if there was substance abuse um, in our parents, then that can affect us the whole of our lives um, growing up. Or, or maybe if there are other things, like there were um, times of great stress or difficulty while we were um, being formed, then uh, that can have all sorts of long-term effects. Then we looked at the indirect of the, um, effect of the fall. Um, it's not like the enemy's doing this directly, but the accumulation of brokenness and sin um, over multiple generations can lead to genetic factors. So we can have inherited genetic problems. You can actually find that you're facing mental illness issues, and when you look back through your family history, you see those um, same issues repeating um, in uh, family members of previous generations. We uh, looked at the reality that it can just be pure and simple um, a medical issue, It can be something to do with the way that our brain chemistry works. And sometimes when we're looking for healing, um, that that it's only going to be a medical solution that's going to help that. So we we talked about that. And then we talked about the reality that experiences that we have in our life, either as children or as adults, can also uh, cause mental brokenness and and mental illness. And um, that might include um, abuse of different kinds. So if as a child, for example, you experienced um, verbal or physical or sexual abuse, then that can have long-term effects on your mental health. And other kinds of experiences too. For example, if you've had some sort of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, um, vets um, sometimes will have that, and other people who've been in situations that are very traumatic, those also can cause damage to our mental health. And so that's the reality, and that's the background. And actually, uh, what we talked about last week is that all of us experience some level of uh, mental illness and brokenness and emotional and spiritual illness and brokenness. And we looked at um, common uh, symptoms of that, um, and I'm not going to read them out. I'll just put them back up there. We put that up there last time. But it's worth, if you weren't here last week, just having a look through that 
and just think, well, which of these really relates to me? Because actually, um, all of us experience some of these things to some extent, um, and um, uh, psychiatrists uh, tell us that there is a kind of continuum um, that most people are on in some of these areas of brokenness. So for example, um, not all of us uh, hear voices in our heads saying bad things to us, but most of us have some kind of dialogues running around in our minds that are unhelpful to us. Yeah? So there's a, there's a continuum. And sometimes some of those things that are the most pronounced mental illnesses are just kind of the extreme version of the continuum of something that um, the rest of us are experiencing to a lesser extent. And so we talked a little bit about that. And um, we, we talked about how important it is and how we really wanted to just set out uh, as a leadership team here at Grace Gathering, we think it's really important that as a family, we're prepared to talk about these things and we're honest about them. We need to remove the stigma of mental illness and we want to provide safe opportunities for people to talk about it because it's actually part of everybody's experience of the fall, isn't it? And just as we just, as we just pause there, that's just kind of summarizing the stuff from last week, let's just recognize that and let's just think about our own lives of ourselves and also those people who are close to us, our family members and so on, most of us can identify some of these, at least some of these traits in us, even if they haven't manifested to the point of kind of severe uh, medical um, uh, mental illness. So where are those, just be thinking about that, where are those things in your family, where, is, where are those things in your own life? Today, I want to just talk a bit about healing. and. Um, Healing is a complex thing. There's lots of different factors. I'm not pretending that I'm going to be able to cover all of those. Um, I, I want to recognize, we talked about this last week, that as with going after physical healing, which I believe that we're called to do as Christians, I believe that healing is part of, you know, it's not just about um, stepping away from sin. It's also stepping into physical and mental wholeness and, and emotional and spiritual wholeness. That's part of the call of Jesus. And, and as we do that, that just as with physical healing, we may need to have a mixture of prayer and counseling, things like that, and also medical intervention. It may be that there are, uh, medical, uh, there's medical treatment that you need in order to get to a point where you can function well if you are dealing with severe mental illness. But nevertheless, there is spiritual healing for all of us as well. And um, Jesus came that you might have life and that you might have life in all of its fullness. Jesus came to give you peace. Do you remember, he breathed on the disciples and he said, I give you my peace, I don't give as the world gives. I always wondered what that was. You can decide whether you think this is right or not, but I, I remember I asked the Lord about that and I felt he showed me something there, which was, um, you know, when, when we give as the world gives, when you get given a gift in this world, um, the point at which you're given it is almost always the point at which it's most valuable. You know, you get given a new car, get given a nice shiny new phone or whatever it is, the point at which you're given it, that's when it's most valuable. And then over time, its value gradually decreases until it ends up being broken, going in the trash or maybe finding its way to a garage sale where someone will buy it for much less money. Yeah? But Jesus doesn't give as the world gives. He gives you a gift that's infinitely precious when he gives you his peace. But, but I believe that his design when he gives you that is for it to increase, not decrease. It's going to become more powerful, more defining in your life, more valuable as time goes on. It's going to carry on increasing. He wants you to be whole. And we're going to have a little think about what we do to make sure that we are engaging with the healing process that he has for us. Every one of us has some mental brokenness, some emotional and spiritual brokenness. 
Every one of us is functioning in a way that is less than the way that God designed us to. And every single one of us has an invitation from Jesus to go on a journey of healing. And he gives us signposts as to what it is that we're supposed to do. So we're just going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 this morning. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Just to point out there, we've sometimes talked in Grace Gathering about the, the world, the flesh, and the devil as the three great enemies. And can you see that Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians here, identifies those three? It's partly where that identification comes from. So he's saying, um, you, you were living in the ways of, they're following the ways of this world, and then the rule of the kingdom of the air, that's the devil, and then we gratified the cravings of our flesh, the flesh. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is um, a passage which I think is very helpful to us because on the one hand it it just, you know, holds out very clearly the brokenness and the reality of our lives in, in our unredeemed state, just the way that we are. And then the second half of that passage talks about God's plan and how he implements that plan by grace, through faith, leading us into a place of healing and wholeness. So the three great enemies of our souls that are identified by Paul there are the work of the devil, the cravings of our flesh, and the ways of the world. And I just want to think about that a little bit because all three of those things contribute substantially to a lack of mental emotional and spiritual well-being. These are the things that rob us. All three of these things create temptations and dialogues in our minds that lead us away from God, that lead us away from truth, and that lead us away from life. And engaging with those things is a path that will lead us into greater distress and greater sickness eventually. I just want to think about these things just enough that we can identify them when they start to function in our lives. The first is the devil, his name is Satan, and literally that means the accuser. Satan is the accuser. And his main mode of operating is condemnation. And let's be clear, the Lord will make it clear to you when you're doing things that are wrong. He will tell you when you're doing things wrong. But the way that the Holy Spirit works is through a thing called conviction. And conviction is specific and it's sharp. It points out something in your life And it challenges you to deal with that thing. But the challenge also has in it the words of life. God never asks you to do something without giving you the faith to trust him for the breakthrough in that area. And so conviction is usually a painful thing, but it also has hope in it. It's like I know that God is convicting me that this needs to change in my life. And so I know that I need to trust him that he's going to help me to do that. That's conviction. It's very specific. 
Condemnation, which is what the enemy does, is very different. It's like he throws a heavy, wet blanket over the whole of your life. It just says, you're sinful, you're useless, you're no good, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to, be able to win, you deserve punishment. Um, John says that, um, that perfect love casts out fear because fear is to do with punishment. Satan's trying to raise up fear instead of faith in you, and so he's going to just keep telling you how bad you are. In fact, sometimes he may take it to a point where he'll, even though you're somebody who knows Jesus, who said yes to Jesus, it might even get you to the point where you're questioning whether you're even going to go to heaven when you die. It's like, gosh, I'm so bad. How can anyone save me? Well, the good news is, it's not how can anyone save me, it's Jesus can save anyone, even you. Jesus can even save you. He can even save me. It's an amazing thing. And so the devil is using lies and he's using accusation. Of course, it's probably not any of us, um, none of us are probably actually encountering Satan himself. And biblically, what he does is he functions through a whole load of fallen angels, which function all over the world, and uh, they're called demons, and they do try and attack us. And they don't usually physically attack us, but it's usually going to be a mental battle that's going on. So that's one of the things that's happening. And he's accusing us and making us feel condemnation. And also the other thing that Satan does is, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, he tries to get us to be gods of our own life instead of trusting God. So he causes fear and condemnation and then tries to persuade us to try and solve that ourselves rather than going to Jesus, who's the one that can help us. So that's what's going on when we engage with um, Satan. And then we have our own flesh. That's our own fallen nature. We can't blame everything on the devil. We, have, we, we commit our own sins as well. And we're clothed in this fallen flesh, and that flesh has appetites. And our flesh is constantly saying, particularly when we're going through difficult times, it's constantly telling us to try and make ourselves feel better. But the way that our flesh gets us to do that is it, it, we feel attracted to things that are going to make us feel better in the short term without thinking about how they're going to affect us in the long term. And so we often, when we're uh, operating by the flesh, do things that give us short-term pleasure, but actually in the long term make us feel even worse. And, and you guys, every one of us has experienced that. You know that. We, we start to try to self-medicate our brokenness and our hurt by doing things that give us pleasure rather than going to the one who gives us peace. And, um, and we begin to rely on ourselves and our own coping mechanisms. And one of the things that that does as well is it breaks our relationship with other people. When we're functioning according to our flesh, we put ourselves right at the center of our lives, and that means it's almost impossible to function in relationship with other people in the right way. We either put barriers up, so somebody says, can I help you? And you think, gosh, if I admit help, that means I'm admitting weakness, that means I'm having to show people what's really going on, I'm not doing that, and so we put up barriers. Oh, no thanks, thanks for offering, but I'm fine. How many times do we do that? So we, we turn away from the help that we need, the support from other people, or sometimes we go the other way and we start to rely on people instead of relying on God and form co-dependent relationships with people. So when we're operating by our flesh, we put ourselves at the center, that's what flesh does, and so it becomes very, very difficult for us to form the kind of healing relationships with other people that we need in order to receive God's grace. God gives grace to you directly and he gives grace to you by putting people around you who care for you and show you his love. And then the third one, the world. This is the message of the fallen world that we live in that is constantly bombarding us all the time, which basically is saying your job in life 
is to make yourself better, to make yourself better than you already are and to make yourself better than everybody else. So, you know, there's constant kind of um, bombardment of messages that says that you should be better, you should be smarter, you should be thinner, you should be prettier, you should be stronger, you should be richer, and you should, you should be trying to do whatever you can to make those things happen. And, and what the world says is, the world says that that's where your health and your salvation lies. It's a lie. It's a lie. The world says, if you can just get some more money together, then you'll be okay, you'll be at peace, you'll be happy. If you can just get a bit healthier, if you can just get smarter, if you can just get better looking, if you can just get whatever, if you can get these things, then, then you'll be fine. And we've talked about that sometimes before, haven't we? I, I love that quote that um, Jim Carrey gave where he said, you know, I wish everybody could be as wealthy and famous as I am because then they'd know that it's not the answer. Those problems don't go away when we get those things. The, the, the offer that the world gives us is a lie. And we have all three of those things going on. That's the reality. And, and all of us are susceptible to them. And as we listen to them, and as we begin to implement in our lives the things that they tell us to implement, it actually makes us more mentally, emotionally, and spiritually ill. It actually causes more brokenness in our lives and actually can get us into cycles of brokenness that entangle us and are very difficult to get out of. It's just true for all of us, isn't it? All of us, to some extent or other, have experienced that. And into that, that's the world into which Jesus stepped. And that's the world that you have into which Jesus is seeking to step right now. That's the, that's the environment into which Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Will you open the door and let me in? That's, that's what he's wanting to do. Jesus is wanting to help you find wholeness and healing. And the way that he does that really is through just some really simple bits of teaching. When, uh, when Jesus was walking on the earth, someone asked him, what's the most important thing, Jesus? That's a great question to ask Jesus, isn't it? What's the most important stuff? What's the stuff we're supposed to be listening to most? And Jesus said this, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, he's referring to commands in Deuteronomy there, but um, the, the, what, when Jesus said it, you can find that in Matthew uh, 22. He said, all of the law, so fulfilling everything that God wants for you, and all of the prophets, everything that God's spoken to his people, all of it hangs on those two things. That's what Jesus said. And then there's one other really key thing that Jesus said at the end of his life, um, before he went back up to heaven. He said, uh, go and make disciples. It's the great commandment and the great commission. That's what we call it. The great commandment and the great commission. You know, the enemy would want you to interpret that as a legalistic set of rules that you have to try hard to follow. Let me give you a tip. If you try hard to follow those things, you will fail. It's impossible. None of us have in our own flesh the ability to love the Lord our God in the way that we should. None of us have the ability to love our neighbors as ourselves, and none of us have got the energy, frankly, to go and make disciples. It's not the things that are gonna happen naturally. All three of these things can only be fulfilled through faith, and faith is a gift that God gives us freely when we come to him. It's what the Bible teaches. It's what we just read in Ephesians, wasn't it? These things are a gift, and they come by faith so that none of us can boast that we've done them in our own strength. So what Jesus does is he's looking for your healing and he gives you some commands but he's, he's put something special into those commands. 
He gives you commands that you cannot fulfill in your own strength. You can only fulfill them by coming to him and asking him to help you. You can only fulfill those commands if you're walking them out in relationship with him. It has to be a partnership. And you know what? That is a healing partnership. It's a partnership where he's able to start dealing with the brokenness in our lives and help us to find wholeness. As I think about my own healing, my life has been a journey of healing, and um, I'm not fully there. I still have lots of brokenness, lots of emotional, spiritual, and mental brokenness. Um, When I think back through my family, there's mental illness in my family. My grandmother, um, she committed suicide. She um, had bipolar disorder. There's a history of depression in my family and other things, other dysfunctions and brokenness. As a young man, I had, I, I had really significant self-hatred. I really hated the fact that I was me, stuck in my own body. And, um, and it led to really deep, crushing times of depression where I couldn't function, I couldn't really engage with people, I would withdraw. And, uh, and also to areas of addiction as well, addictive behavior. And, um, and uh, I know that as I've been walking that out, these three areas have absolutely been key to my healing. Jesus came to me in the middle of all of that, and he said, I want to teach you, Paul, how to love me, how to love your neighbor, and I'm gonna give you a mission and a call in life. And as you walk those things out, you can't do any of them on your own. As you walk those things out and you come to me to receive the faith that you need in order to do those things, you're gradually gonna receive healing. And it hasn't been a quick fix for me. It's been a gradual walk. In fact, usually if I compare myself with a few months ago, I don't see much change. It can get frustrating. But actually, if I stop now, I'm just nearly 50. If I look back to, say, when I was 20, it's like night and day. It's like a whole different world. There's been a process. It's not like a quick ATM, but there's been this incredible process of healing. And um, those things I've mentioned, most of those now in my life have pretty much gone. There's still some remnants left. Nothing like what it used to be. So are you, are you prepared to, to follow what Jesus says and embrace this process he wants to do in you of, cre- of, of making a new creation? He wants to recreate you. He wants to teach you how to love him. That means giving time to seek him. It means setting aside time to worship him, to think about his word, to read his word. It means accepting his forgiveness. You know, not one person in this room... Can, can establish our own identity. An identity is not something we work out ourselves, it's something that's given to us, and it's given to us by our Heavenly Father. He wants, to, he wants to give us the identity that he created. He wants to give you the identity that he created you to have. He wants to give you an identity that is unique to you. Only you, in the whole of the history of humankind, have been created to be the person that he's made you to be. He wants to give you that. He wants to give you his forgiveness. Have you got areas of sin and brokenness in your life? Maybe if they're repeated sins or areas of weakness where you just can't forgive yourself. Well, he calls you to come and receive forgiveness. It says in the Bible, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he will forgive us. And if he's going to forgive you, what right have you got to not forgive yourself? There's a journey of forgiveness. Are you engaging in activities that help you to spend time with him? That might mean putting some time aside. You know, when the uh, TVs stop, the radio's off, the music's not on, you've, you know, you've stopped the social media, the phone is on one side. What's the background noise in your life if all the other noises stop? He wants you to get to a point where that background noise is one of peace, 
one of peace and contentment, one of intimacy with him. And you know, if you struggle with some of the models that you've been given to spend time with God, try some other ones. I mean, it might be that you spent years trying to sit quietly somewhere and pray, and it's just not your personality, it's just super hard, and you've never got anywhere with, with it. Well, maybe go for a walk and pray instead. Try some different things, but it's about going deeper, it's about learning to love him and receive from him what he wants. And then love your neighbour. You know, if we're going to love our neighbour as ourselves, we have to embrace vulnerability. The extent to which we're prepared to be vulnerable with somebody is the extent to which we're able to have a loving relationship with them. Have you noticed that? Yeah, if every time somebody um, offers to do something for us, we say, no thanks, I'm great. Or if every time there's brokenness in our life, we try and cover it up and pretend that it's okay, that stops us from forming a real relationship with anybody else. We have to learn to be vulnerable. And you'll find that as you embrace vulnerability and as you're open with people about your own brokenness, that they're able to then be vulnerable with you as well. The relationships become real. We live in a society that's very much about the surface, isn't it? It's about projecting success and health and looking good. And the problem with that is that it stops things from being real. That's not the real human condition. So sometimes we can have fear of admitting that we have a problem. Are you trying to seek healing on your own or if you want God to heal you, are you actually going to other people and saying, I need help, would you pray with me? Would you help me? I, I need to tell you about some of this brokenness that's going on in my life. There shouldn't be anything going on in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our behavior, that at least one other person doesn't know about. If, if you've got stuff going on in your life that nobody else knows about, that's a dark place to be. Let's choose vulnerability and find others. Do you have the community around you that you need? And then thirdly, go and make disciples. Do you have a vision and a call that gets your heart off yourself, gets your mind off yourself and your own problems? Do you know, however big, however massive our issues are, if, if, if our issues are all that we think about, then we get totally trapped. God hasn't called you to live a life of just dealing with your problems. We've all got problems. We've got lots of them. Jesus wants to walk with us in them but he's also called you to make a difference. Yeah. It says in that passage we just read that God has stored up in advance good works for you to do. Did you know that? Before the beginning of the creation of the world, God already knew you by name. He already knew he was going to make you and he already had planned a number of things that he's going to call you to do through your life that are going to change the world for the better. They're going to change people's lives for the better. He has a vision for your life and he wants you to carry that vision. <coughs> And you know, it's almost impossible to get healed up fully if we don't carry a vision that gives us something outside of ourselves to shoot for. He's, we, we've been designed to make a difference in the world. What's God called you to do with your life? And are you stepping into that? And you know, these things, they can only be fulfilled through faith, which is a gift that God gives freely. How does God give it? It says in Romans 10:17 that faith comes from hearing the message. What he wants to do is, he wants to speak a message of hope into your heart that brings faith. Message of hope about forgiveness and your relationship with him. A message of hope about your relationships with other believers that you're called to be part of a family. And a message of hope about the calling on your life to see impact and to see significance and to change the lives of others. And as you allow him to speak those things to you, your faith will rise. I want to um, share, as we're just coming towards the end now, I want to share um, a testimony 
This is a brave testimony from a member of the church who's got what some people would, call, uh, would uh, consider to be a really serious, one of the most serious forms of mental illness. I don't know whether that's the case, but it certainly is a debilitating and, and you know, significant um, area of mental illness. And that's the um, area of dissociative identity disorder, which in, in the old days was called multiple personality disorder. You might know it that way. That's a kind of old-fashioned way of talking about it. That's where you don't just have one personality, but you have more than one, and sometimes with different, completely different names, different ways of functioning. And, I mean, how can, how can God heal something like that? I mean, that's just, it's just a, a crippling condition to have to face, isn't it? And, um, and yet, here's a very powerful and moving testimony, and I, I just want to um, thank the person who's given this, and um, I'm, let's just listen to this and think about, as, we, as you're listening to what God's done for someone else, think about what God might want to do for you. When I learned that the leaders of Grace Gathering were planning to do a teaching series on mental health, I decided that I wanted to share a little bit of my personal story. I have a mental condition known as DID, which stands for Dissociative Identity Disorder. For those of you unfamiliar, unfamiliar with that term, you might know it better by the previous outdated terminology, multiple personality disorder. Due to the way this condition has been portrayed in movies and TV shows, many people have the mistaken idea that people with DID are dangerous, violent people. The truth of the matter is that because, because DID is caused by severe trauma, usually in the form of repeated abuse in early childhood, most people who have it are very shy and withdrawn and also gentle and kind because they wouldn't want to hurt someone else the way that they were hurt. I first started to realize that there was more than one person in my head when I was in high school. As you can imagine, that was very scary for me. It was even more scary for the other parts of me that I'd just met who didn't feel like they belonged in this body and weren't even sure they were real people. Over the next several years, we saw several different therapists, but didn't feel like we were making much, if any, progress in figuring out what was happening. We saw a psychiatrist who put us on some psychiatric meds, and they helped with some of the symptoms of depression and anxiety, but didn't really cure us or give us the answers we were looking for. These years were agonizing, and we had a lot of confusion, depression, despair, and at times, suicidal thoughts. But since I'd given my life to Christ before I became aware of any of my other selves, the grace of the Holy Spirit helped us to avoid the temptation to actually attempt suicide. We had hope in God that though things appeared very bleak, he would help us through. Eventually, through the assistance of some fellow Christians in a Bible study, I found another therapist, one who was not only a Christian himself, but a specialist in DID. He was the first to actually diagnose me as DID, and he recommended a course of treatment that was different from any of my previous therapists. They told me that they had told me that I had to merge the others with myself or just get rid of the others. I've been trying to do that for years under their guidance and praying about it, but getting nowhere. This new therapist suggested that I learn to accept the others and be grateful to them as parts of me that helped me to survive difficult times in my life. He said that I could learn to live with them rather than struggling to get rid of them. We were so frustrated with all of our previous failures that we were tr willing to try it. Over the next several years, I and my other selves learned to exist in harmony with each other, love and respect each other, and work together as a team to live our shared life. In fact, we learned these lessons so well that we were able to be totally weaned off all of our psych meds, praise God. It's amazing, isn't it? I'm saying all of this to communicate that in mental health, as with, as with physical health, curing is not always the same thing as healing. 
God has not cured us of our DID in the sense that the world would consider cured, that is, merging us all back together into one identity. But that's okay because he's helped us, through the help of our therapist, to emotionally heal from the traumas of our past and to spiritually heal. The healing that God has brought to us is so much more real and more fulfilling than the world's idea of curing could ever be. It will always be difficult for us to live with DID, but now we know that we can do it through the help and grace of our Lord and Saviour. He's helped us to realise that we don't have to become one identity again in order to serve him. We can use, he can use us as we are, as a family on mission for him. Can you hear the sense of calling and the sense of um, you know, mission that's, that's going on for this person at this point as part of their healing? We all love him and we're eternally grateful to him for helping us he to heal, even though that healing took a different form than we ever would have imagined back when we were in high school. The Lord doesn't always give us what we want, but he gives us what we need, which is so much better, and for that we praise him. And this person's written at the end, Psalms 94:19, In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Isn't that amazing? It's wonderful. So um, we're going to have a time of worship. We're going to um, gonna have a time of response. But what is it for you that um, God's calling you to do to embrace that path of healing? Jesus came to set the captives free, and that includes you. He came to set you free. He came to bring you peace. He came to make you whole. He came to give you a hope and a future. And there seem to be three things that he points us to as we position ourselves to receive that from him. The first is to engage with him and with his love and truth in order to receive his healing, to let him be the one who defines our identity, to spend time with him, to, to allow him to speak into us into our lives. Second was he called us to be in a family. If you want to be fully healed, you have to have a loving family around you. Don't allow the enemy to isolate you. Is that something that you need to start to address? Do you need to find people who you can share your brokenness with, who you can trust, who are going to surround you and enable you to find a place of healing? And thirdly, he's called you to a mission. You need something beyond yourself, so do I, if, that gives our lives purpose and meaning if we're going to become whole? Have you become fixated on your problems? And is today God saying, it's time for you to lift up your head, look to the mountains, look to the vision that I'm giving you, so that there's a significance to the life that I'm calling you to? Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we just want to confess, every single one of us has spiritual, emotional, mental brokenness. We carry it with us, Lord. It's the result of the fall. We thank you, Jesus, that you, you break into that and you come to bring us wholeness and healing. Thank you, Lord, that even the most severe problems that the world says are impossible to heal can come to a place of healing and wholeness in you. Just pray you'd speak to each of us now and show us what our next step is, whether it's engaging more deeply with you personally, whether it's engaging with community and family, whether it's that we need to see the calling and the vision that you've put on our lives, Help us to embrace you and the wholeness that you call us to, Lord. Amen.